Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we are on episode 30, big number 30, and I'm of course with my co-host as always, Pratik and Nick. How are you guys doing this afternoon? Great to be with you, Tyler. Wonderful to see Pratik again. Always a treat with, when I'm with you guys. Dude, I'm excited. Hopefully we're going to have a great show. We absolutely will have a great show. Today we're going to be kicking it off talking about uh, Biden's $6 trillion budget proposal, which is just an absolutely massive number. There are so many different elements to this proposal that we're going to be breaking down. So Pratik, can you lay it out for us? Yeah, so um, obviously this would be one of the biggest bills probably of all time in terms of how much money is being spent. Joe Biden's obviously called the moderate per se, but this is a $6 trillion budget bill, largest in the history of America in terms of budget bills. And the budget bill is made up of a lot of different things. So this will increase discretionary spending by 8.4%. The bill will be $6 trillion budget and it will begin... um, on October 1st, including a $1.52 trillion in this discretionary spending for military and domestic programs. The bill will raise corporate tax rates from 21% to 28% and will raise the top capital gains rate from 23.8% to 43.4%. And the bill has all kinds of other provisions where it increases social program funding, such as paid family leave and universal preschool, um, increases the amount of money that goes towards infrastructure and building up our roads. And we have a lot of money going to energy programs, renewable energy programs in particular, and making sure that we can increase the amount of housing budget that we have for public housing in our country. So, big bill. Yeah, it's it's a big bill. There's so many different elements to it. But just out of the gate, how do we feel about after this COVID pandemic, having to reintroduce trillions of dollars into the market, um, just having such a massive bill? Don't you think this will affect them not only in the market, but the, the, the economy in general and just completely inflate the market altogether? Well, I'm more than happy to let Pratik take that. But <laughs> I mean, the economy aside, seriously, the one thing that stands out to me about a lot of these omnibus bills is the fact that this is called the infrastructure proposal, right? And granted, it's the budget proposal, but it's all under, you know, big spending increases in infrastructure. That's the main goal. And yet you have all these riders and all these other things that are coming together into this one bill to be passed as a package. And I feel like people are kind of tired of it. And I, I wonder why that's been the case of all like a lot of the times these omnibus bills get added on with all this different you know what is it called uh the pork for people's individual districts and the rest of it by the time you get out at the end of the gate with the full bill it's so bloated with all this other stuff that it sort of strays from the original intent you know i fully understand though that if we didn't have these big bills nothing would get passed like if you had to vote on every single provision that's included in this Nothing would ever happen. We have the filibuster. Mm-hmm. People will just talk until nothing happens. It would be a, it would be even more of a joke than Congress already is. Yeah, couldn't have said it better. And I would also argue, though, that the problem is that these bills are what I have an issue with. I've always talked about the farm bill being the bill that I always look back on. But this is basically the same thing. And my issue is that just think about this for a second. All right. Biden is the so-called tagline moderate. So Biden is who we think of when we think of moderates. And out of those 20-some candidates that they had in that election, Biden was probably the closest to the moderate that they can find, apart from maybe Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg. can never pronounce that guy's name properly. So based on the funny thing is that 
if six trillion dollars is such a big expenditure we've been arguing about inflation for so long with this infrastructure bill being two trillion dollars but it's like forget about that let's jump to six trillion so now we're just you know adding bills money and money to our budget and in terms of the debt obviously that's never a worry because the federal government never has to balance their budget money grows on trees for them so i just find this to be really random how like this is what we came up with and just imagine if bernie sanders was president or if elizabeth warren was president your so-called progressives if biden is not liked by the democratic party because he's not progressive enough for a majority of their core just imagine how how big of a budget bill a progressive like bernie sanders would have like if biden is six trillion bernie might be like 12 trillion because that has to be double from whatever a moderate can do so I just find this to be kind of random. I find it to be kind of sad. But at the same time, I think Democrats just have a lot of ideas and they just have a lot of things that they want to do. Republicans, on the other hand, we don't have that, those kind of ideas. Our problem is that apart from Trump, we don't have ideas. That's why Trump is the whole party. The whole party literally has one issue right now and that's raising taxes. And that's the only thing we can really get going. We've had the same problems that we've been debating about for centuries. And apart from MAGA, well, the Republican Party's a joke at the at the moment. And the Democratic Party doesn't have an, has too much plans. So they have all these big bills and their big bills cost more money than all the Republican plans combined. So, yeah, but you're know. not giving Republicans credit in the fact that they also just completely shut down everything the Democrats want to do. So their priorities are to shut down what Democrats want to do and just keep the, the tax rates lower. And then they don't really have to do much else to keep their base, uh, keep focusing on wedge issues that never seem to change over time. It's um, the same on the yeah, other it, side, though. <laughs> that was the whole Trump so. presidency. Literally, what were the Democrats' plans during the Trump presidency? They had ideas. They had Green New Deal, Medicare for All, all these great big plans that cost more than $10 trillion. And whenever they came down to it, well, all they did was complain about how Trump is a racist, homophobic bigot, and that was their whole platform. I mean, they did manage to win because of COVID, and if COVID didn't happen, well, Trump had a lot more accomplishments in his four years than the Democrats did in those four years, and I think the Republicans are the same thing. Now it's just the script is flipped. Because the Democrats spent four years complaining about how Russians rigged the election for Trump to win, now... The Republicans are stupid that they didn't make the same argument when we actually have evidence that China, Iran, and Russia were all involved in the rigging process. Not saying that we have any evidence to actually prove anything, but we didn't have any evidence to prove that Russia rigged the election for Trump, even though we may know that Russia rigged the election. But my point is that that's going to be the reason why if the Republicans win in the midterm is going to be because they feel that they stole the election from Trump and they kind of screwed us over. So now let's all go vote to throw the Democrats out of power. But the Republicans haven't accomplished anything in the last last year and a half or whatever, how long we've been here. Seems like forever, but it's only been like six months. And I think on the long scale, large scale, like for the other side, the Democrats haven't done much. They have had a few bills. They've had stimulus bills. The reason why we have so much unemployment right now and jobless claims is because the amount of money that we provided in stimulus. But I don't think it would have been any different if Republicans were in charge, but we can obviously blame Democrats because they're in charge right now. And I think it's the same thing. It's the same go around every time. The Republicans uh, work on wedge issues. The Democrats work on wedge issues and then they get reelected and then they don't do anything about it. And then it's the same wedge issue controversy going around in circles. I think this is the situation here.
Because the election stuff is all a wedge issue, and that's not like they have any evidence to back anything. And the Republicans are so crappy at PR that it all became Trump's fault, but they should have planned their game. Democrats planned it for four years. What are Republicans doing? We're a big joke without Trump. Our establishment people are a mess. It's funny. You say, you say they have bad PR. Meanwhile, they've pretty much gotten the whole base to distrust major media. I mean, even to the point where it's like, oh, Fox, fake news. They called the election in favor of Biden. What a load of crap. Now we got to switch over to OAN or some other network. It's like you, you just try to go down and down until you find something you agree with. And it's like, oh, thank God, finally something I agree with, this fringe source that no one knows what it even is. And sure, you could point to some you know, lower traffic sites like PJ Media or something, which have had staying power and sort of the party elites know what PJ Media is. But the vast majority of people are not going to, you know, websites like PJ Media and others to say what what's going on in the country. It's a lot of online stuff. I guess I know we didn't really plan on talking about QAnon today, but that's certainly part of it. But I mean, election stuff aside or election fraud issues aside, I think one of the main things is just when you are in the minority party, when you lost the election, which the Democrats did when Trump was elected, all you can do is sit there and complain for a couple of years. That's really all you're doing. You're not pushing any major agenda. You're just trying to block the other side because you inherently view them as anything they accomplish is bad for the country in the long run. And sadly, that's just the state of it. I mean, people complain a lot about how, oh, the two parties, they don't work together. Ordinary Americans are getting left behind on these issues. But it's like, that's how we're voting as a country. We're so split and divided individually that that goes up to the party level. I mean, a lot of times we talk about these elites all being friends with each other and working these issues and benefiting themselves. And certainly they do benefit themselves. But ultimately, they are playing to their bases. If it wasn't for those individual power bases saying, hey, you, divisive figure, I want you to go to Washington and raise hell. I don't care if you get anything done. I just want you to go against the other side. That's what people are voting for. And if that's what you're voting for, don't expect anything different. That's true. And then going back to the original point of just having these all-encompassing bills and packages, uh, the problem when I look at it is I, I see several things that I'm like, yeah, that's great. We should get more funding. We should get more funding to prepare for the next pandemic. So uh, sending 25, I believe, $25 billion in that direction, I have no problem with that. We want to decrease the opioid pandemic, so we're going to increase funding from around $4 billion to $10 billion. That's probably a good thing. But then when you pair that with every other thing in the bill, it's harder to get to come to some agreement and conclusion. And I'm sure this is going to be ripped apart. Um, I don't think it'll pass as a $6 trillion bill. But at this point, I think this is the only way uh, legislation gets passed at all by these big all-encompassing bills because there's just too much uh, indecision and division within the two parties. And see, I, I just have my issues with certain things like, I mean, I'm a tax person, so I don't like taxes going up and I'm a fiscal conservative. And this is this is one of those things that even if it was a Republican doing the same stuff, I would still raise a muck about it. Because it's like we spend so much money on all these things that use such a hard time measuring. Then you're going to raise the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28%, which is probably a big reason why the market is so unstable and volatile right now. They talk about inflation all the time, but inflation's not that bad based on how these things are. Potentially in the future, based on how much money we're spending, if we're going to spend like $10 trillion in the first year of Biden's presidency and hasn't even finished yet, well... 
and, and yeah, the first year is still going on, then obviously inflation is a worry. But I feel like this is the problem is whenever you're going to raise cap gains by double from 23.8 to 43.4% and corporate taxes from 28% to 28% for things like energy spending, health care, like it sounds great. But we've always spent so much billions of dollars on all these other things. Like, what are we getting differently from what we got in the past? Yeah, Republicans spend all this money on opioid crises and spending more money on Medicare. We didn't have Medicare for all, but I mean, like, it's still part, it was part of our package. But that was a true trillion dollar budget bill. And back then, Democrats were like, whoa, this is way too much money. This is a disaster. We're spending, like, millions of dollars on the border wall. What are we doing? This is a crisis. We need to figure out how we can keep Trump in check. Trump's a fake fiscal conservative. And it's like, look at the other side. Like, I'm not saying Trump's God or Trump's great and he did a great job with the budget, but the other side's like, man, we just keep spending money and money on things that we don't even know what we're spending on. And there's no way to measure half this stuff. And we're still going to be in the same problems that we were before we spent the budget bill that we will be after it's done. And I mean, I don't know. I just I just have issues when it comes to things like spending. And I would make the same argument if it was a Republican in power as I would if it was a Democrat in power. And I just think that... Like, if Biden is your moderate, just imagine how your progressives would be. I'm happy Biden's there. Imagine if Bernie was there. We'd be doing this by double, and then we'd be complaining about the same thing, and then all these crazy pundits would be all hyped up about it, and then we'll be all sad whenever our inflation goes up and our taxes go up. It's like, yeah, you should have thought about that before electing the dude. But hey, people don't think. We just randomly go ahead and do whatever we want because we care about our one issue, and our one issue is what makes us vote for someone. Pratik, I don't know that we don't know where the money is going. A lot of these federal agencies and others put together yearly reports, quarterly reports that say, hey, here's exactly how we spent the money. Contracting is pretty transparent. Um, I forget the name of the website, but there is a government website where you can look up every single federal contract, see how much it was bid for, who won the bid, the rest of it. And so this stuff is transparent, but unfortunately it's just who's going to take the time to really go in and dig deep on a lot of these contracts to figure out where the money's going. When Trump was in office, you know, a lot of the investigative journalists would go in because Trump was incredibly divisive. They wanted to sort of nail him because it would boost readership. But when you don't have a figure like that in office, what's the real incentive for you to do like actual investigative journalism to see where are all these funds going? Like, remember when the Panama Papers dropped? That was a huge issue. The Afghan papers that the Post put out, I think it was a year and a half ago at this point. That was huge. The journalists do a lot of great work, but when someone like uh, Donald Trump is not in office, a lot of these things, just frankly, in the budgets of some of these news media companies, they're lower on the list of priorities. All... And so, frankly, like who, who's going to go ahead and say that? But I did want to say, hey, we do know where the money's going. It's just yeah. it takes a long time to figure out and compile all that together across I... the different agencies. I'm not I'm not against anything that you're saying, but as I said, what you're saying is part of the yellow journalism. Trump was put on a whole different pedestal. Biden can literally go murder ten people and he will still be the greatest president of all time. Guaranteed. I don't know. Unless about that. unless <laughs> look, this is my strong theory, but I don't know if this is correct. I'm making a conspiracy theory like all these other did with Trump for four years. Well, I would make an argument that if the, if Biden loses in midterms, they're going to make sure that they're going to kick him out of office because they don't want him to run again. And 
because he's so old anyway and they want some more progressive person. So the Democrats will create some kind of plan where they're going to kick him out of office. If this happens in two years, like, I mean, if this doesn't happen, prove me wrong. But I'm making an assumption that something is going to happen and Biden's not going to run in four years. And they're going to put some other progressive guy there. Because if Biden runs, Biden will win the election. And the reason I say that is because Biden is so bland that the news doesn't have anything negative about him. And even if he does screw up and say stupid things, well, he's funny because he's old. So he's a gaff machine. Ha ha ha. Great president. So I feel like this is my issue. And my issue, especially with this kind of bill, budget bill, is that whenever you have certain provisions, I'm not saying you can't find this stuff, but a lot of these things that you are trying to measure, things like EITC, making sure that you have the right amount of money going towards certain programs like we've always thrown money at all kinds of things and my issue is that how will you know if it's actually made the system more effective we're throwing how much does it say like six billion on the food and drug administration what is going to be different with the food and drug administration center for disease control and prevention is getting 8.7 billion dollars we're throwing all this money toward the next pandemic we don't know when the next pandemic is going to be the next pandemic could be in 10 years it can be in like 50 years but how do you know how that money is going to be spent because it's probably not going to be spent in this specific year and that's what the budget bill is is for this specific calendar year so i don't know i feel like maybe i'm just talking you know trash and i don't i feel like maybe i'm saying something that may not be right but hey i just think that you're maybe- saying simply increasing the budgets is not enough to fix the programs that are structurally inefficient is because, that what you're arguing yes because you can't measure it I don't know how you can measure if something is better or worse. Maybe there is a way. They have accountability offices that get paid billions of dollars because the government's amazing. So I'm sure that there is some way that you can look at this stuff. But like the thing is that the big issue when it comes to any of this stuff is they're so vague and the amount of information that is provided on how this stuff is specifically handled is vague. And it was vague when Republicans were there. So obviously Democrats thought Trump was a big joke because we spent so much money on things like border walls. But it's like, look at the other side. The other side spends like five times the same amount of money. But it's amazing because it's Biden and you can't ever trash on Biden because Biden's basically God. And he's the most moderate guy ever because he has a $6 trillion budget bill. Like, just imagine, if Biden is a moderate, just imagine how, like, non-moderate all these other Democrats are, because Biden is your tagline guy, and Democrats don't think he's enough. They think he's, like, a conservative. I even heard people that tell me that Biden is a Republican. Like, just imagine, that's your progressive party. I don't know how great my party is, because apart from Trump, we don't even have ideas, but, like, the other side is no better either. So, like, the whole two-party system right now in our country is a joke. Sorry about my rant. <laughs> the, the, the one thing I have to push back is if Biden does do something stupid, you're like if he kills 10 people, no one will care. They'll still see him as God. You don't think these news agencies want to see the clicks like, hey, Biden did this stupid thing. Like, look at that. I know there is generally a bias within the media, but you don't think they'll point out any of his flaws in order to just gain attention, which is the priority of these media companies to just make money by getting viewer viewers eyes. Um, I think I think people saw Biden as the antithesis to Trump, but I think that that vision of him is kind of fading over time. And I think I'm hoping that moving forward, we'll maybe see some more criticism of Biden and there will be less bias in the media in general. I just think that whenever Trump was there, we knew about so much information that we never knew about any preceding president before Trump. Like I could go find out. 
who the Secretary of Health and Housing, uh, Health and Human Department is, a, a DHS, whatever you, however you say that, Health and Human Services. Or I can find out like who the, I mean, I knew who the Director of Labor was or who the um, Housing Director was. We never knew any of that stuff under Obama. Who knew who it was under Bush? Bush was the most controlled president probably in our lifetimes. Like, just imagine if Trump was his micromanager figure and he had all these random people that he put in all these positions, just the fact that you knew Ben Carson was the housing guy just tells you how much information we actually knew about Trump. With Biden, we don't even know who the Secretary of State is. That's my issue. And you're but not going to You can find know. that information yeah, you can. quickly. Yeah, we all know it's blinking if you look it up. But the thing is that with the regular public, the regular public is never fed enough information by the news media because they frankly don't care and the news media sucks at their jobs right now because Trump's not in office. If anything, the news was great because of Trump. If Trump did not exist, half these news media companies would have shut down because no one cares to read the news anymore. We just see updates on our phone. We're like, oh, AP News sent out this update. Now we know everything. We don't need to spend more information time reading this stuff because that's all we need to know. So I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just, this is my conspiracy, but I feel like with Biden, Biden can get away with literally anything and no one will care. Hey, that's what happens when you have a popular platform. People don't question it as much. I mean, Trump was pretty that's popular. That's just the fact. He had people yeah, buying but... for him January 6th. Remember that? Dude, that's our next topic, by the way. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a pretty good transition, too. Any final thought, Nick, before we dive into no, that? No, not at all. Let's uh, let's get to the Capitol Riot Commission. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So, all right, Senate so, Republicans. Yeah, let me, let me introduce yeah, it, got... actually. Uh, so, so, Senate Republicans recently blocked the January 6th Capitol Riot Commission. So, they had blocked the creation of a bipartisan independent commission to investigate the January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol Hill by a pro-Trump mob, mob, as I'm sure many of you have heard. Um, the bill needed 60 votes to advance, so they needed about 10 Republicans to actually pass it because of the filibuster. And ultimately, they, they were only able to get six Republicans, so they only had uh, 54 votes in favor, 35 against, and 11 senators not voting at all. Mitch McConnell basically said that we don't need to create this commission. We already have law enforcement and other congressional committees working on this this problem, and this is just a politicization of the event that happened. They're trying to carry it forward into the midterm to hopefully persuade votes in, in Democrats' favor. So do, do you guys think this is just a political move, or do you think it's really a shame that we weren't able to get this passed and there wasn't a commission created specifically to... Um, investigate the assault on capitol hill me and nick are both going to disagree so you first man no you first critique i, I think I i'm think a gentleman a, i'll let you go i think it's a political play i think with the capitol riot we've been looking at the stuff since january 6th since it happened it's been one of the most no talked about storylines for probably a month and a half like if, even into biden's presidency in terms of the first month this was the only thing talked about in the news and everyone has a strong opinion about it but republicans are generally you know not pro the riot but they feel like we need to just like move away from this story as soon as possible and democrats want to keep talking about it because this is what will help them win the midterms republicans don't want to talk about this stuff because i mean right now the storyline is trump's election was rigged because of the democrats and Republican voters, whether or not I believe that or not, majority of the Republican voters that will vote will vote based off that. 
I still have my worries that I don't think there will be enough people that vote because people are so freaked out about the current election system and they feel like it was all rigged and it's been rigged since Biden, I mean, since Hillary Clinton lost. And it's just a continuation of the same thing, just a whole different person in, in, the, in the face of the storyline. But I think that with this, um, you're not going to accomplish anything. It's just going to continue on for another six, seven months. You're going to get the same storylines that were happening before. And the Democrats refused to move forward with this in January 30 because they didn't have enough votes and they didn't have enough information to actually prove that Trump caused the riot. I mean, it's all speculation, just like Russia rigged the election for Trump is speculation, even though it's probably potentially true. While this one, I think that you can say that it happened because of Trump. You can say that it just happened because Republicans were pissed. But, I mean, it's all speculation. And when it comes to speculation, this will just waste our time for another two years when we have more farm bills come out because we can't pass any regular re legislation. The farm bill, dude. I love hearing for TikTok about the farm bill. One one episode, we definitely have to do a farm bill uh, deep dive, a special, <laughs> if you will, because the the amount of times you bring it up and then we have to trail off and cut to a different topic because it's just not very timely with the farm bill right now. I would love to do a future episode on it. But yeah, I'm, I mean, look, I agree. I think a lot of it was uh, pretty partisan and that's fair. Honestly, what Republican is going to want to investigate that to say, hey, look, some junior staffer on my, you know, on my team got involved with it in some way. That's only going to ever look bad. So I don't know why you would ever vote in favor of it. And this wasn't a, oh, let's bring the country together. I mean, maybe in the days right after it, where McConnell actually came out and was like, oh, this was reprehensible. This was so bad and terrible and the rest of it. But like, even even with Love the that, McConnell voice, like, by the way. A couple, a couple, you know, a couple weeks later, it's already old news. I mean, that's how quickly things move. I mean, right now, are people really waking up in the morning thinking about the Capitol riot? Unless you're the mom of the, um, of the officer who was killed during it or died as a result of it. Um, sorry, I haven't actually read the details as to the cause of death. Um, but unless you're that mother or unless you're his partners that were working with him on the force that day, like really on on the capitals on the government side there's not a whole lot of fuss about it um so unless you had that personal family connection i mean again a lot of us were sort of shocked by it but even now like cnn will do these random man on the street interviews and you know people will say oh that's all a hoax it was an antifa plot it was a false flag it was this it was that and when you have something like that where it's so well documented, it's out there, you've got multiple different sources of video from like every angle imaginable, you know, coming in and showing what happened that day and people still don't believe it in some instances. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I, I think, again, McConnell did, McConnell did say that there's no new fact about the day that that's come about to, to right. warrant any of these investigations like what why are we creating these committees other than for a political reason we have the and information out there isn't it only going to be more de divisive for our nation as a whole if we continue to nail down on this one incident the fbi is already going after the inv individuals involved as are other local law enforcement agencies so again i 
I hate to say it, but I do kind of agree. I don't see the point of this. You commission. Republican. I don't see the point unless it's just going after specific lawmakers to see if they had any individual ties to the day or to have some sort of formalized thing like Pratik was saying to then trot out and say, oh, my God, look, the Republicans, they were involved with it the whole time. We got to get them on the midterms because otherwise we're going to not have a country anymore, which is what Trump said right before they all went over to the Capitol. Uh, for that protest. And by the way, for anyone listening, uh, the Capital Commission is spelled with an A, not an O. If you type in O, Capital Commission, uh, then you're going to get a biblical studies group, which is very confusing the way they're set up, but two completely different things. Okay, well, speaking of countries, and because Nick alluded to countries, I'm going to move to a whole different country. We're going to move to France. So don't we all love France? Macron, great president. He's just always doing some sketchy stuff, and everybody's hate, hating him for one reason or another. But Pratik hates him, him for a lot stuff. of reasons. Let's be clear, okay? <laughs> no one has strong opinions except for Pratik on Macron. <laughs> I can't even say his name right. That's how much I hate him. Uh, but Macron uh, passed a bill recently where he allowed there to be 5,000 people dancing in an arena in a concert where this has been one of those things where it hasn't really been allowed in France. France has been a lot more about socially distancing than a lot of the other countries in the in the world. And they haven't allowed as many people to enter arenas with or without masks. And right now, the law is saying that you can dance in an arena if there's 5,000 people, but you have to have masks and you, have to be in, you don't have to be socially distanced, but you have to wear masks. So... Again, this is a short story. I don't really think much about it. I just think that it's cool that in France they're finally opening up and they're finally realizing that the bad part of the situation is over and we need to move on with life. Yeah, well, it's like Footloose. So when the COVID pandemic hit, everyone's inside their own home. They're dancing by themselves. They're like, this isn't going to work. I need to dance with some other people. But if I have to do that, it, it, we can't let that happen because COVID's going on. So everyone's just sitting by themselves in the room. Macron's finally like, I release you. You can all now dance together. So we're all in a big stadium dancing. It's a good time for everyone. I, I just think the signals that we're moving away from the COVID era, hopefully to a more... Uh, to hopefully everyone's able to get the vaccines they need to get and ultimately we don't actually have to end up wearing masks uh but it seems like a good advancement uh pratik i would like to give you the opportunity to crap on macron a little bit though because i feel like that's why we added the story yeah uh, in, so in, in the conversation so macron my thing about him is like do you remember when the pandemic um was ending and the vaccine situation was going on where we didn't have enough vaccines going to certain governments well france had so many issues developing their own vaccine so they were using america's vaccine because obviously america's vaccine is the one that most of the world used apart from the russian one which caused a lot of problems in parts of the world like india so with macron and the chinese he one was spending and the chinese one obviously so the problem with macron was he was spending so much time complaining about how america needed to give more vaccines and we were not thinking about the world we were being selfish because we weren't providing vaccines to everyone then macron goes on to continue about his like he wanted to increase the amount of security that's going on in the country he also had his own islamist extremism crap going on where he was trying to ban people from having hijabs and he has all kinds of other issues like the whole economy right now in france is in the toilet 
They have so much problems. Their poverty numbers are at the highest they've ever been. And, they, and if anything, Macron has the most to lose in the next 2022 election because the numbers are not looking his way. Marine Le Pen is probably supposed to blow him out of the water. And Macron just needs a few I don't know wins. about blow him out of the water, Pratik. Well, that's what the, that's that, what the dude. polls are saying. I'm not I'm not saying that. I I would rather have Macron than Marine Le Pen because Marine Le Pen is more extreme. But that's the numbers because the people there in France are so pissed off at Macron right now, and they feel that they have to blame whoever the person in charge is, and the person in charge in France is Macron. And the reason why they're having so many issues in their economy is they're still closed off. Like everyone else is opening up. France is like, yo, we need to take our time opening up. Plus, on top of everything else, they're like, they're religious, relig they hate the Islamic people, which is a whole other side of the spectrum. So they're literally like xenophobic towards a whole other religion. And the thing is like France, in terms of Macron, is the face of this whole scenario. And even in Europe, they, half the countries really hate Macron because Macron is the most Trumpish figure that they have in the EU. So I just think that France is a mess and I don't like Macron and I don't know why other people wouldn't either. Nick, do you like Macron? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right, this is awkward. No, look, frankly, I don't know enough about the guy. I briefly... The only reason why I was really interested in French politics is because of the rise of Le Pen, the last go-around. And you sort of start to see Fran France, which is an incredibly left-leaning country overall. You have this huge sort of socialist um, past and history, especially in places like southern France, where you have a little bit more working class people outside of the cities. You know, southern France isn't just all these beautiful beaches and the rest of it. A lot of the times you do have working class blue collar families who are out here just in the countryside of France. And a lot of those families over the past, I want to say 60 years maybe, have sort of drifted from that socialist left side more to the conservative side, purely because they have so much immigration going on in the south of France that a lot of them, it's it's sort of, you know, getting more competition for jobs and having to deal with people from other cultures and viewing the immigrant as the enemy. And it's it's sort of, it actually is an interesting time to look at France and see, one, how they're trying to retain their influence in a world where, you know, sure, they still have a bunch of um, African countries where there's plenty of criticisms of the current regime for neocolonialism and all the rest of it, which they're trying to get away from that image. But France has a lot of social issues. Granted, they're overblown and overhyped. It's not like there's no go zones and the rest of that crap that was being peddled back in 2016 during the elections for like Sweden, Norway, the rest of it. That stuff is blown way out of proportion. But there still are very real issues between the French working class and then the working class of immigrants who come from different cultures, backgrounds and religions. So I think the country is a long way to go. And it is a little ironic to me. I do enjoy shitting on France as well because they think they're better than everyone else. And, you know, back in the day, it used to be the we still use the term lingua franca, francia or whatever to say, you know, what is the go to language of business or commerce? I guess those are the same thing or culture or the rest of it. France used to be the main language that you learned if you were interested in doing anything international. You learned French. Nowadays, it's English. And French, it's on the downside. And now you have Chinese, you have Spanish, you have all these other languages that people want to learn way more than French. So I think they're just going down the tubes. The one thing I will say about the dance parties, dude, I respect the French people for that. When you look at videos of them and the discotheque and the rest of it, 
you know, you've got these four on the floor, very basic beats, boom, 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 boom. And the people, the second there's a drop and they add in like a little hi-hat or something, they go nuts. They go wild. They pop off. It's They know how to party. They know how to have a good time. I don't know what it is in France, but you at least nice they are music. a culture that can enjoy the finer things in life. France also has really nice music. So like, I don't know, it's kind of like, it's like kind of like Spanish music, but it's like a more of a rap tone Spanish music to French. So because French music sounds more like, you know, sounds more rigid. And the Spanish just sounds more like, ah, you know, it's like more sweet sounding. <laughs> so I feel like the thing is, sorry about my voice, that was funny. But no, like y'all amazing. should definitely check out French music. It's really cool. And I mean, as Nick said, their French parties seem pretty awesome. So now yeah, we're moving to China. I actually like China. some French rap. But before we do, the last comment I would like to make is after this conversation, I want to renew the push for freedom fries over French fries. Uh, and that's all I have to say. Uh, but sorry, Pratik, go on. Yeah, so Tyler, you want to talk about the origins of COVID? Yeah, so basically the uh, the COVID pandemic began in China, obviously. Everyone thought originally that it had come from the wet markets in the area, uh, but recent information has come to light that is making people now believe a conspiracy theory that was originally pushed by the Trump Foundation and just many people in general who believe that the COVID virus itself came from a lab in Wuhan, which was only located a few kilometers away from the wet markets where we all thought the virus itself had begun. Uh, the reason we're now coming to this revelation is some new classified documents were released showing that in late 2019, uh, several researchers at the lab, I believe in November, December of that year, right before the pandemic hit worldwide, uh, actually were infected with, they went to the hospital, they were infected with something, they didn't know what it was. We now know that they were likely having COVID symptoms. And because of that, it renewed interest in the idea that these, this disease actually came from a lab in Wuhan. And on top of that, we have Mike Pompeo coming out saying that we actually know within this lab, we had both civilian research and military research going on. Um, and they would not let us know exactly what kind of research they were doing with in the lab. We just know that they were uh, both doing research on these diseases. So again, it just renewed speculation and the theory that this was this came from a lab in Wuhan possibly was genetically engineered. That's something, again, we don't know, but scientists are renewing the investigation. Uh, when Again, the Trump administration before had pushed this theory. They were investigating it. When Biden came into office, he actually got rid of the investigation, said we didn't need it anymore. And now Biden's dub, dub, like doubling back and essentially saying, this is a real theory. Intelligence is now telling us that there's a good chance it came from this institute in Wuhan. And ultimately, we need to know where it came from to prevent these uh, incidents from happening in the future. Uh, but do you, do you guys see this as a major story? Do you think this is going to affect the Chinese relations with other countries like the United States? Or do you th think this is something that we're just going to wag our finger at them, say that was bad, hopefully to see what we can learn from the situation and move forward? What's one bit of information <clears throat> I had missed is when the pandemic first began, WHO, the World Health Organization, in early 2020, had spent two weeks in China, and they basically said it was incredibly unlikely that the disease itself had come from the lab in Wuhan. Obviously, we're now finding that's probably not true, and they only had two weeks to investigate without any other uh, countries being allowed to investigate the incident. So the whole thing seems sketchy. It seems like there is a good chance it came from this lab in Wuhan. Uh, so what are your guys' thoughts? 
Yeah, I, I have to agree with you, Tyler. I think it's just going to turn into, or the second point that you said, which is I think it's just going to turn into a lot of finger wagging, a little bit of international posturing and trying to lower China's uh, standing on the world stage. I think that's all that can really come out of it. I think the Chinese government, given the way it's set up and the amount of control it has on information uh, entering and leaving the country, I don't think anything substantive is going to happen where we're going to have inspectors on the ground. I don't think the WHO is going to get involved and actually do a full investigation and the rest of it. I don't think any of that's going to happen. And I think the only thing is, what if we determine that, yeah, it did originally, it was man-made. And if it did originate from that lab, what then? And again, all I think it is, is finger wagging and, hey, why didn't you let us know earlier and the rest of it? But by the same token, I think if the UK, France, the United States, any of the Anglo countries or any anywhere in the Anglosphere in the West were to do the same thing, if we had some sort of lab virus that then broke out into the rest of the population, I don't think we would tell people right away. I don't think we would let them have access to our labs. And so as much as I want to dunk on China for doing the wrong thing here, because everyone was sort of left out to dry, millions of people died around the world, and it's because of what happened in China, you know, and it, I, on the other hand, I do get it in terms of the United States rising Asian hate crimes, the rest of it. I just don't think there's going to be any sort of punitive measures coming out of this. If, if that was the case, if it did originate from that lab, if the Chinese government did cover it up, even if that was the case, I don't think anything would happen apart from just a finger wag and a slap on the wrist. So I'm, well, the I'm, Chinese government is still saying that it didn't come from China. It's all a conspiracy. It's a U.S. hoax. That didn't happen at all. Uh, the virus likely came from, I think they came said it came from food shipments, and that's how it originally had arrived in China, from another nation. So they're completely denying they have any involvement, even that the virus itself started in the wet markets. Um, so their complete denial is kind of disheartening, but I think you're right. If it, the United States did come in the same scenario, would we tell the world, yeah, it was our problem. Let's pay some sort of reparations for all the damage we caused. Probably not. Sorry, Pratik. So, yeah, no, I, I think, um, I'm in full agreement with Nick. I just think that I've always been on the side that I think China is responsible for all the stuff that has happened. And I think you need to hold them accountable if it has happened from there indirectly or directly whether they caused it with intent or whether it just happened by accident but i mean it did happen and they are responsible for this big pandemic that did spread around the world i'm not saying that like they i mean i obviously we won't be able to know what the full intent of it was but i blame who i blame the world health organization they're responsible for all the problems that we had because if their job is to monitor these things and make sure that all the people's health are in check and they specifically went to China to find out whether the lab is where COVID happened and whether, you know, China had anything to do with COVID happening. Well, I mean, it all this all the signs say that it did happen in China. So who do you blame? You blame the people in charge. And I guarantee you that the World Health Organization how has already received a lot of negative media and has received a lot of negative PR for what has happened, but they deserve it. I mean, you blame the people in charge. Whether or not they're responsible for things that happen, I mean, they were there and they were checking it out and they failed to notice anything. And at that time, we were all xenophobic people in America because we were banning flights from coming from China. Just imagine how bad it would have been if this stuff was in the rise and we didn't have any immigration control over that situation. It would have been much worse. And I feel like a problem with was with Trump was he wasn't all, you know, gung-ho on making sure that we wear these masks. But at the same time, like... 
you blame the people in charge who was in charge and they blew it and frankly speaking and when it comes to china well china had was the ones that caused the whole problem and you need to hold them accountable because that's where it all started if this was america and we had something like a pandemic created in the united states i guarantee you countries like china would be going left and right arguing about how america is responsible for this big pandemic and whatever party's not in power let's say the democrats were in power republicans would be hyping about the democrats being in charge and them having this pandemic happen under their watch so i think that this is this is the scenario and we need to play it the same way that they would play it if we were in the same situation well a more conspiratorial minded person would argue that the world health organization was largely run by the chinese because the u.s with donald trump were showing less signs of wanting to fund them or even interact with them at all uh and the chinese were able to take that opportunity uh, and, and sees some control over the World Health Organization. So even though they did do some kind of investigation, it wasn't a very thorough investigation that was going to be very meaningful altogether, ultimately, anyway. And that's a democratic plan, right? Just blame Trump for all the problems that happen in the world because Trump is responsible for everything. If something happens anywhere, well, Trump ha- Trump was there. So Trump defunded the World Health Organization. Oh, he spent less money. He was not working with China. So China wanted to create this big old pandemic because of Trump. Like, this is a whole scenario, which always pisses me off. Like, if right now, if something like this were to happen and Biden was there and Republicans were to make that claim, you would be like, oh, Republicans. Republicans are trying to create monstrosity. They're spreading false rumors and fake news and they're hyping up the people. Now there's going to be a whole new riot that happens because of what the Republicans are doing. And Trump's a racist, homophobic bigot. So this falls into Fritique. the whole plan. Like, it gets old, dude. Like, Fritique. I don't, I don't think... I don't think anyone said that China created the virus because of Trump. <laughs> I don't dude, think I've anyone heard it. has said that. I've heard it. <laughs> From who? From people. I've heard it from people. I've heard it from the news media. I've heard it from CNN. Whenever you have analysts that come on and they're blaming all these issues because of Donald Trump being in office, they would argue not directly that it happened because of Trump, but they would argue that because Trump was there, we didn't handle the situation in the best way that we could have. And if we had worked with the World Health Organization, then they wouldn't have done all the stuff where they like kept information away from the United States. And I think that this is the whole plot problem is that if you blame everything on the same guy and you connect all cords to him in any way which possible you can prove anything happened because of that if somebody can say that china wanted to control the world by creating this like covid covid situation well they will connect all the cords to prove that theory doesn't necessarily mean that it's the true theory but they can connect it to prove make that theory sound right and i think that's what they did with trump the whole reason trump's not in office right now is not because of anything else is because of covid and if COVID didn't happen, Trump would have blew Biden out of the water. We all know that. But I mean, I mean, not saying that Republicans are not going to do the same plan that Democrats did. And I'm not saying what the Republicans did is correct. I'm just saying that you blamed it all on Trump because Trump was there. And because Trump is there, Trump is horrible. And anything Trump does is horrible because it's Trump. And I think that if you don't do that same situation with Biden, it's a hypocritical situation with the news. I'm not saying that any of us are problematic. I'm saying it's the news. Sorry. (laughs) Critique, the more I hear you talk about it in this way, the more I tend to think of Trump being the conservative Jesus. You know, the Democrats put all of our country's sins on Trump and then they're sacrificing him at the altar. 
They're banning him from all these sites. They're doing criminal investigations. They're trying to get him out of the public sphere. They're trying to go after his personal business. Couldn't have said it better. (laughs) And it's like, dude, he he literally is the new Jesus. And the last time there was someone who sort of portrayed themselves as the Jesus, uh, I think, well, we probably had a few others, but the last one to get this much notoriety, the last one to get this much notoriety was uh, China in the 1800s. Some guy said he was Jesus's younger brother, (laughs) and that led to the bloodiest civil war in history. So we'll (laughs) we'll see. But no, look, I, I agree with you that people were way too harsh on Trump in terms of the travel bans, I think that's a totally rational thing to do. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you can throw out xenophobia, racism, whatever. Uh, that's a bunch of garbage. We all know how it played out. It was good that he put those travel bans in place in terms of the flights coming in from China. Granted, the Democrats fought against it, by the way. I know. Way, no, initially. I know. I know. Like, I think heavily. they messed up there. I think Pelosi they messed was up in there. Chinatown saying, come hang out, guys. Yeah, Everything's good. <laughs> oh, God, that was so embarrassing. But that aside, and Granted, you know, good thing he did the same thing to Europe because that's where a lot of the cases actually came from was travelers who came in from Europe to go into New York and the rest of it. But in any case, I agree with you there. But I think, to your point, it was his election to lose. And he lost it fair and square because he totally bungled how to actually react to it. Sure, he had the travel ban. That's a good thing. Sure, he advocated for you know, less regulation so that we could push more vaccines through the process quicker and cut that bureaucratic red tape. That's good too. But in terms of actually figuring out how do we distribute this vaccine to people? How do we target the states that are most affected? How do we slow the spread? Well, he wasn't there anymore. How do we do any of the common sense? No, dude, he was. He was. When all this stuff stuff was happening with- That was all Biden. That started- no, dude, yeah, that no, started They before. actually announced the vaccine was done a few days after the election. I think it was literally three days he after was, the election they announced And at that point, now. anyone would have been pissed off. He was still in office, still in point, office Nick, and there was no plan. But Nick, at that point, anyone would have been pissed off. If Biden, Fatigue, if simple... Biden loses in the for, in like his last term, and let's say a new pandemic comes out, and he's been working on getting this vaccine out until like you know, the whole time. And then like right after his election is finished, Pfizer comes up with the plan. Now let's release the news that our thing was finished. Can I tell you something? All Trump had to do was say, we're under attack. China, they're coming after us. We got to band together as Americans and get this. No, he didn't. He (laughs) He blamed China on everything. (laughs) No, dude, all all of the mask stuff, all of the don't worry about it. Keep going about your daily lives. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to have a vaccine by Easter. We're going to have a vaccine by June. We're going to have a vaccine by July. Don't worry about it. Every single time, dude, he kept pushing this bullshit. None of it was true. All of it was, and I get trying to get people's hopes up and whatever, but he didn't take it seriously at all. Even at the point where he got it, he was like, oh, whatever. You know, maybe he conceded a little bit then, but as far as the mask stuff, as far as social distancing, and I get it, for some of his his constituencies, like in Montana or Wyoming, where population density, very low. The risk of spread, very low. People are outside. You know, not a whole lot of people from China are going to Wyoming. That's not how that works. That's fine. But on the other hand, take it seriously when it's your home state, your home city. You were so proud of New York during the election when Ted Cruz went after New York values and you made it a whole thing to say, hey, I'm very proud of New York values, how we came together after 9-11. I'm proud of my city. I'm proud of where I'm from. And then he drops all that the second it actually metastasizes and COVID spreads. He's like, oh, Cuomo. It's all Cuomo's fault. The federal government, we're not going to do shit. It's all New York's problem. And that to me, like, dude, it was his election to lose. He lost it. 
I thought it was embarrassing for him. But you're right about Nancy Pelosi, Tyler. She screwed that up. I, you don't have to go against the whole, oh, the right is being racist. They're against Asian Americans, the rest of it. You don't have to go there because it's a travel ban from China. Like, it, that's not targeting Chinese Americans. That's targeting travel flights from China. That's not racist. So I, I the, really, I felt the messaging and lack of unity from Trump, lack of being able to bring people together during a pandemic is what lost him the election, because even though we were a divided nation and Trump's a divided figure, if he had said, look, we have to get through this together. These are the measures we're going to be taking. We'll all push through and get past this. That would have been fine. But what Trump did was he basically said every time any new information came about COVID, he'd be like, we're doing so great in this area. Look how good. Look how few deaths we have here. Only 100,000 deaths over here. They were predicting 200,000 deaths over here. And it was all about how good he was doing when it really should have been about bringing people together, creating some form of unity. And I think that messaging led to him losing the election ultimately. I don't think it was logistic stuff because I think, I don't, I don't know if he promised that the vaccine was going to be coming out by summer, what have you. But I know for certain that he was pushing for vaccines to be expedited through the FDA process, which did happen. And that the vaccines were announced just days after the election took place. So he was certainly in office, but he had already lost the election at that point. I don't know whether they were delaying releasing the fact that they had vaccines till after the election or not. But that to me, that that was a little fishy. So I think now let's just I think we all have our opinions, but let's move on to John Cena. So John Cena, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Um, all, obviously, he's one of the few wrestlers. Are you a wrestling I fan, Pratik? I used to be. Okay. I used to watch SmackDown okay. all the time, and then it came on Fox, nice. and I started watching it, and then I just quit watching wrestling. Some of his stuff yeah. looks so fake now. It, at one point, it looked realistic, but now it's just like yeah. I like the they're Undertaker. Just like, they're just like oh i'm gonna small punch you and i'm gonna kick you and then they all like fall apart like you know they got like you know bulldozed by someone well but pratik i'm pretty sure they've always been like that you were just more of a kid back then <laughs> you have Rey mysterio fair. doing backflips landing <laughs> on people like oh my god but yeah no so john cena can you tell us more about what happened so he made a taiwan remark he's been doing interviews for fast and furious 9 a new movie that's coming out they have a large audience in china as well as the united states but he had mentioned Taiwan specifically by name, uh, and the Chinese government was not happy about that because they don't acknowledge that Taiwan's its own country. So someone told John Cena, hey, you got to backtrack this. I, it was probably someone in the management team for the, the company that's producing the movie. They're like, look, we have huge business in China. You can't say that Taiwan is its own place, its own country. Please just say that you love China and the Chinese people, all the Chinese people, wherever they're from. So he uh, he came back out and backtracked his statement, said, no, I, Ch China's one country, Taiwan's not a country, that, that's just how it's going to be. But I think the larger conversation around this is, so we have people in entertainment that are being influenced by a foreign a agency, a foreign government, uh, to say or not say certain things. The, in the United States, you can say whether you want to believe Taiwan's its own country or not, you have the right to say that. And sure, you're representing companies and business interests and business interests that are global now. But ultimately, it just seems like a way that's maybe I wouldn't be say stifle free speech, but we're certainly allowing other countries to influence our own speech. And that can be dangerous in some ways. And the article specifically that we, we've been looking at mentioned the idea that maybe we should know where these entertainment companies are getting funding from, which countries they're getting funding from. So we know potentially where their influences lie. Um, do you guys have any thoughts about this? So, I mean, 
I, I agree with that. I feel like this is a problem, and I just wish that there was more freedom of speech. And I feel like whenever you have certain countries that you can't say anything against or you can't make any comments, like it just kind of you know makes it seem like these people are all controlled by someone. And I would rather people have the ability to have their own opinions and be able to express them, whether whatever they feel. Obviously, John Cena probably didn't mean to talk about Taiwan. He was just talking about something, and Taiwan came up in the conversation. Yeah. It's not like Andrew Gang but like still though like i feel like when it comes to any of these people they shouldn't have to have to write and say apologies because they said something that potentially offended someone like they should have the right to their own opinion oh yeah i no i agree i think look taiwan is actually pretty complicated uh, obviously well i guess that's pretty obvious that it's complicated but china has this whole history of you know, feeling embarrassed by foreigners having control over parts of Beijing, Shanghai, a lot of the island areas, Formosa, which is now Taiwan, or referred to as Taiwan. And I think, what was it, after the Qing Dynasty goes away in the late 1800s, it has brief independence, and then the Japanese military gets ownership of it and control over it. So, and then what, you have the nationalists and the current Chinese Communist Party is the spiritual successor to Mao's original party. Um, from back in the day when they won sort of late 40s, early 50s and drove the nationalists out to then take refuge on what is currently Taiwan. Like, I that's got to be such a sore spot for them. Hong Kong aside, but Taiwan itself, it, that's got to be a sense of national pride. And there is that continuity to say, hey, the Japanese had control of it. Then the nationalists fled here. We were at war with the nationalists. They never should have been allowed. They were never the rightful rulers of China therefore we should have control over it because we are now the rightful rulers of china we won the we won the civil war and therefore we should have claim to all the territories that were previously under you know the past dynasties they're doing the same thing with um certain parts of sort of south eastern russia uh, vladivostok some of those cities where it's right along the borderland to say hey this is part of an older china they pull up all these maps from like the 1700s and say look this city on this line was in our territory that's how they're justifying a lot of the stuff that's going on in tibet and with the uh, muslim uyghur population out to the west of china today they're just looking at all these old maps sort of retelling history to have this grand narrative around China used to be this big blob, and it's never one continuous time period. It's never one single snapshot, but it's like over time, we had control of this wider area, and therefore today, we have control of everything all at the same time. So anyway, that's my two cents on it. I rambled enough on the last question about Trump. Tyler, what do you, what do you it, it, got? It's kind of interesting because that's basically what Nazi Germany did with the Third Reich and like uh, the expansion out to to the other areas. They're like, oh, this was one part of the Germanic tribes. Therefore, we have the claim and right to this land. And I understand sovereignty and wanting to be a sovereign nation and not having people influencing you and such. But Taiwan basically is declaring its depend independence and uh, its support of democracy. They don't want to be part of China. So, well, speaking of speaking of China, um, let's now talk about Hong Kong, which is also part of China. So Hong Kong um, has been one of those 
plots like Taiwan that has always been controversial within that Chinese hemisphere where China thinks that they own the country but with Hong Kong they actually do. Well Hong Kong has been having their own series of riots and everything going on so they China just passed a controversial Patriots law. So this law makes it so that each person that gets elected by Hong Kong will have to pass a pro-China panel where they will vet and elect candidates reducing democratic representation. Critics warn it is designing to remove all opposition from the city's parliament, allowing Beijing to tighten its control over Hong Kong, and it's the latest measure to design to crack down on dissent in Hong Kong. And since the electoral reform law was initiated by the Chinese government in March, it has drawn widespread international condemnation, including from the United States, the European Union, and the United Kingdom. So thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this is just simply the Chinese government overtaking Hong Kong as they've been doing over the past several years. Uh, they don't want to see Hong Kong as an independent state and uh, part of the British colonies. They want to see it as part of China, and they're making efforts to make that happen. So if you want to be a member of parliament, you now have to go and be vetted by pro-Chinese people. And obviously, that's going to be influencing the democracy. Democracy doesn't exist if all your candidates have to be uh, vetted beforehand and have to align with certain points of view. So it's just a power grab and they're going to get away with it because they have no one that's going to be able to stand up to them, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's been a while since, disclaimer, it's been a while since I looked at the particular history of Hong Kong. But one of the reasons why it was even given this sort of autonomy in the first place and its special status as an economic zone is because it was a main trading hub and brought so much money into China. And now that the rest of China has developed a lot, and granted, Hong Kong is still pulling in major foreign investment, but at a certain point in China's development, they're like, hey, okay, we've started to catch up. We don't really need these special zones as much as far as Hong Kong. We've tolerated you guys having some independence, doing things your own way. But after a certain point, we want to assimilate you, and you don't have a choice in the matter. So come in here, get absorbed into the big blob that is our country. And uh, yeah, I think Hong Kong is the, oh God, I don't want to say the first domino because then we get to domino theory with Kissinger and the rest of it. But Kissinger. Um, all right, Kissinger, <laughs> my bad. Pratik just wants to get a correction your way because you've corrected him before. That's fair, answer. that's fair. But no, good point, good point. Um, hey, I'll turn it over to the scholar himself. Pratik, what are you thinking about it? I think that, um, I mean, it's obviously bad because you're restricting that um, area from being able to have their own vote. But this is China. Like, China is a communist country. They're supposed to have everything under wraps and every part that gets elected is part of the Chinese popular party, right? So I feel like this is an issue. And obviously, I'm more for, like, China's communist government breaking apart. Because I believe that you need to have democracies, but that's just my opinion, and I'm more, um, you know, I'm more of a freedom fighter type person on that kind of stuff. Because I feel like countries need to have people revolt in those countries if their government is all messed up and is restricting their values and restricting their speech. And I think this is a reason why Hong Kong is having the amount of um, riots and the amount of protests that they're having in the country, and trying to just proving their point. Yeah, and they're willing to take the economic hit for this because certainly as a foreign investor, you're going to be more hesitant knowing that Hong Kong is no longer what it once was and that they're assimilating to be like the rest of China. So it seems like that seems to be more important to them at this time. And again, there's really no one that can stand up to them. Apart from this, I think in a few days there was supposed to be a vigil for the Tiananmen Square massacre 
And for the second year in a row, they've banned the vigil, saying you're actually just going to go to jail for a year if you try to host a vigil, even talking about this incident. And nowhere else in China are you even allowed to mention the incident at all. So there's going to be no sort of uh, vigil remembering this fact anywhere in, in China altogether. They cited COVID concerns, I believe, for people not being able to gather to, to do this. But I, I think we all know it's just more of a form of control, uh, trying to rewrite history ultimately. Well, speaking of control and history, why don't we get into some of China's, how they then deal with the foreign community, the international community. One thing I wanted to bring up was uh, mining rights. And, you know, this could be part of a larger conversation around a lot of this um, for, let's take electric vehicles, a lot of the technologies, the electronics that we need to power the society of tomorrow. Um, the raw materials for that stuff, they're being mined in Africa and South America and a lot of times in, in some of these Central African republics, like the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which I don't think is even a democracy, but we'll get to that <laughs> at another point. Um, so the DRC is the largest exporter of cobalt, which you need for a lot of these electric vehicles and for these batteries. And recently, the country, in an effort to sort of shore up their own manufacturing potential, um, instituted a ban to say, hey, um, cobalt and copper, we're going to have some sort of waiver system where if you're already doing business, let's say, uh, with China, which has 70% of its uh, cobalt is actually imported from the DRC. So they're their main customer. So how is China treating some of these African countries where China has all the leverage here, frankly, they're the major market, they've got all the capital, they've got all the money, they've got their Belt and Road Initiative, they have all these trade deals and bilateral agreements where I think... You know, even though the mining is actually taking place in the country itself, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, the vast majority of mining operations, I think somewhere between 60 and 70 percent, are actually owned by Chinese private investors. And so China is heavily tied to this mineral-based extractivist economy. And so one of the questions is around, you know, when you get to ethical concerns, human rights violations in terms of kids working in these mines, we, we all know the story of Blood Diamond and the rest of it. That was a major motion picture. But the... The fact is, there are huge human rights concerns in a lot of these mining operations, and China tends to look past a lot of those. That's one of the main benefits, frankly, of doing business with China, is they're not going to slam you for your record on human rights. They're just going to purely look at, hey, what resources, what resources are we getting? How much does it cost for that? The rest of it, good deal. It's the same um, with them, though, too, but, right? China's like but that, that's, so they're just doing the same thing. Yeah, but that's sort of what I wanted to ask you guys about in terms of because these mining operations, I mean, the United States gets accused of this, France gets accused of this, so many other countries do as well. So I'm not sure if it's a double standard when it comes to China, where we just focus on them more and kind of let our own side off a little bit. But what are your thoughts on mining rights? And let's say, for example, there's a country like the DRC, where frankly, they don't really have the infrastructure to refine, process, and then turn these things into those actual electronic goods that they want to sell up the value chain to consumers like an electric vehicle car battery or like the electric car itself. Instead, they have to rely on exporting it to China to make their money. Meanwhile, they want to sort of nationalize this production in a way, get more of the profits for themselves. And so what's sort of that balance between one being the country where you actually have the minerals under the earth and then two, being the foreign investor country, where we have this all the time with oil rights and the rest of it. What are your thoughts on sort of 
the the rights and sort of who gets to profit off of those minerals i think i think my my opinion obviously i'm more of a capitalist so i think that generally the country themselves should have autonomy to make those decisions i mean it's not really the best answer um obviously when it comes to china they're not really they're they're making um i get what's the word for it they're taking advantage of the autonomy rights that are provided from the un in terms of how all this stuff is managed but i think that when it comes to countries like congo and when it comes to any of these things you need to have some labor standards in place to make sure that you know no person is like being mistreated in their proper in their uh, operations and that they're doing stuff in a more safe and um, positive manner but i also think that that kind of stuff will really hurt congo in countries like the DRC, which are not that powerful and don't have all those resources in place. But I think that's the cost of doing business. And I think when it comes to my capitalist approach, I would rather you have some labor standards in place that are uniform. And if countries like DRC can't live up to it, well, too bad for DRC. Sad, but I mean, that's my approach. So you think it's this mutual agreement, it's both voluntary, so what's the harm if they both agree to it? I think you need to have some standards in place. I think China's problem is they don't have any standards. And I think you need to have an international body monitoring those standards and making sure that whenever you're dealing with products that are traded to other parts of the world, that they follow some protocol and make sure that you have some standards in place in terms of labor and how mining operations are conducted to make sure it's more uniform so you're not like... You're making sure that it's all done in a proper manner and it's not harming the people that are there. And I think that's always a challenge when it comes to mining, but I feel like you need to have some standards, but the countries themselves need to be able to operate it. And the problem is that some countries will take advantage of that, other countries won't. But like with America, if America decides to have crappy mining operations, well, it's going to be a really bad PR statement for America. So I think it just that's just the cost of it, and I don't really know the answer, but well, that's you, what I You say that. But somewhere down the supply chain, there are companies in the U.S. that do uh, utilize these, these, these forms of labor that may not be the most ethical somewhere down the supply chain. So as long as we're not directly involved with the mining, sure, it might not be a PR disaster, but we are benefiting ultimately from that supply chain. So I think it has to be somewhat of an American first initiative to say, if you want to do business with us down the supply chain to make the products you're serving, there needs to be some sort of standard. I'm not sure an international body like the U.N., has the power to enforce these kind of things i'm just less pessimistic no no this would be more of world trade organization right oh okay just just whatever body is managing trading policies where if you have certain equality when it comes to how trading is conducted and the products where i mean in terms of labor conditions you have to have some standards in place and those usually come from bilateral trade deals right nick where like they have certain policies that they have to meet in terms of their standards before they can join the trade agreement. And I think this kind of stuff, you need less of like a federal intervention, but you need some. And you need to have some large body just overseeing it. But the countries themselves need to be pushing to try to make it so that there's more equality when it comes to mining operations. Right. But in terms of trade agreements, just a quick side note yeah. there, a lot of the ways that we've structured the rules, it heavily favors the private side of things, the private sector, because for a long time, one of the issues was, hey, the West, we've got all these goods, we've got all this money, we want to make these capital investments. How do we do that when there are a lot of socialist countries that are developing that don't want all of these foreign private investors to come in. How do we get that? And a lot of the ways, or one of the ways you do that is through these global trade bodies to sort of force that through and say, oh, your anti-competitive practices, 
we're going to sort of throw you aside and let the private foreign investment in. I mean, not in a place like Cuba, but let's <laughs> for other countries, for example, that you would actually collaborate with and would be uh, amenable to some sort of agreement. But I mean, why not have some sort of private label standard? Like, for example, I think IBM is working uh, in partnership with some French company on a blockchain technology for agricultural products so that you can actually see some of the supply chain information of where the eggs that you got sort of came from and what, you know, what, what was the environment? Is it cage free? Is it whatever? And you can actually verify that in the store, for example, by scanning the QR code. I don't think everything is going to be fixed by a QR code. And I certainly think if you already have unethical mining operations where you're using child labor that are being paid pretty much nothing every day to toil and sweat and bleed and potentially die for this stuff like i don't think having a qr code is going to solve any of that and i'm pretty sure you could fudge some of the local sourcing because and i don't want to play into this trope too much because people sort of say oh the reason why nothing gets done in africa the reason why a lot of these countries can't progress is because you have too much corruption and the state is a mess and you've got all these back alley deals and the rest of it and i don't want to play into that too much because we all recognize that that's a problem but corruption is sort of everywhere and one of the things, even aside from corruption, is just how do you even verify this stuff on the private end? There's so much stuff going on with some of the major oil companies and human rights abuses over there in the Niger Delta, for example. I, I don't know. It's a really tricky situation. I know mineral rights, maybe that's a deeper conversation, but I guess to tie it back and wrap it up with a little bow on China, what do you think about it? Is your general impression? Because critique, it sounded like, hey, they're both voluntary. If you have a little bit of standards, it's okay. Are you kind of like, oh, whatever, let them trade, let them do their thing. Who really cares? Or where do you ultimately come down I, in terms of China's presence in Africa? I know you would prefer the U.S. is involved, but what but is your stance on China itself? Good, I, evil, neutral? I would it? argue that my issue when it comes to any of this stuff, same as when it comes to oil with OPEC, is that you have issues whenever a country controls its operations. Not when you when you eliminate all private companies from engaging in these businesses and it all becomes controlled by the federal by their federal government. The issue is that their standards, their protocols, their policies, when it deals with labor, all that stuff all goes down the drain. And the issue when it comes to any of this stuff is that they are competing directly with the United States and other countries that have private companies that are involved. And I think my issue will always be that until these countries will establish a democratic feel and they have competitors that are established within their own private free market, until you actually have that happen, you're always going to have these problems. That's just my take. I, I still feel, feel that a lot of these issues that are going on in parts of the Middle East and parts of how Saudi Arabia treats their workers in terms of their oil mining or how countries like China handles a lot of their policies when it comes to any kind of trades like this where they control the entire system or Russia where they have a monopoly over all these types of mining operations the problem is that you will end up in that situation where the country doesn't really care about any of that stuff they don't care about standards all they care about is efficiency and people like me that are like capitalists we love the word efficiency and productivity but where all that stuff falls apart is whenever the country doesn't really care to follow any standards and who is going to blame the country if they don't do it because they don't have any overseeing body. But why would a private institution care more about those standards? Because the than country a governmental institution. 
because the country will monitor those private companies. They have to get collect something from those companies and they're going to hold them accountable. But when it's the government, who's going to hold the government accountable? If I am the only person, if I am the government and I'm making a rule that I want to follow, do this specific practice and I want to engage in child labor, well, who's going to stop me? It's not like the UN is going to stop China. They haven't stopped them for all these other human rights abuses and all these people that they've killed in their time periods and China's been a communist country. So I think that's the issue. And I think that the reason why there should be more private competition is because of that specific reason. I would hope that a lot of these countries like Congo and China and stuff actually have private companies that rise up and do stuff. But their government is so big that they handle every all the operations anyway. So there's no such thing as a private competitive market. It's just like the government controls the show. Well, That's all with I have, that, <laughs> we could transition to a final topic, talking about unethical labor and possibly child labor. Just as a quick uh, ending note, North Korea says orphan children are now volunteering on mines and farms. It's great for North Korea. So apparently... Why don't we have American hey, patriotism like that? Look at the exactly. kids, the self-sacrifice. Apparently, the Korean Central News Agency said hundreds of children with wisdom and courage in the prime of their youth have chosen to perform manual labor for the state. I, I, I think that goes back to your point, Nick. Why don't we see the same level of patriotism in the United States? I don't see children doing near enough work on the streets. Uh, like, I, I, I don't know what's going on here. North Korea seems to have everything put together. No, but seriously, it, it seems like there might be a labor shortage. There may be a lot of issues in North Korea due to the COVID-19 pandemic that we're not aware of at this point. It is a very sad situation, but it's also kind of amusing to hear that uh, they, they're saying that orphans are just all of a sudden saying hey i would love to go do manual labor and work in the mines for you because all hail kim jong-un it's a communist country and this is my issue when it comes to any country that is a socialist or communist country that handles the operations of anything that can be controlled by a private business it always becomes that those countries have so much power that they can do anything that they want to do and who's going to stop them because they are the government i mean didn't we have child labor throughout the history of all these capitalist countries what was the differentiating differentiating factor there i think if when it comes to capitalism and any of this stuff the only way it can really work is if it's a democratic country and the, what i would say is the difference between a pure capitalist country and a lot of these countries is that when it comes to capitalism the government has less intervention and you have companies that handle the jobs where these in these situations the government is doing it and i think this is why i don't like these systems where the government controls the entire show or controls the entire industry like think about saudi aramco for example in saudi arabia that's the same thing literally in russia or that's the same thing going on in china and that's the same thing going on in the drc and i think this is what makes america different and i'm not saying that i mean obviously I always sound like an american patriot but in these situations i think even if america has oligopolies and they have monopolies in place at least it's a private company and you're holding them accountable by you know having a certain body like the sec overseeing these things but when it's a big government and the government controls the show and they handle everything that's going on in that government and they handle the whole operations or the industry of a certain industry i think it's an issue because you're eliminating that potential oversight that a lot of these private industries have and that's part of capitalism whether or not that's the way we define capitalism that's always been the way how capitalism has been seen over the past like couple of generations so you think something like workers rights and just yeah uh, 
just just the right to be only can come from a democratic institution, yes. and otherwise, it's very unlikely to happen for you to be granted those rights. That's based on my opinion. Yeah. I don't know if that's true, but I mean, that's how I see it. So you see it as a precondition, not a yes. necessity, yes. as in like democracy will not automatically equal you know good treatment, whatever. Um, one example I want to point to for the listeners, just because this may not be as well known, is in France, you know, you had the birthplace of modern democracy in many, uh, some can see it that way with the French Revolution, uh, 1789. And then let's take one of their former colonies, Haiti, just two years after the French Revolution. And now France is all democratic and they're lovely and they're the greatest country on the planet. Still killing Haiti each other, by revolution. the way. Haiti has a revolution, 1791, at its start, where you had a lot of slaves who wanted to free themselves. And it was a true revolution. They succeeded over the long term. And then once they freed themselves, they turned to France and said, hey, no hard feelings. Can we trade with each other? And France said, yeah, we are a wonderful democratically elected country. Uh, We're happy to establish a relationship with you as long as you pay us in full the amount for which all of you were worth as slaves and then we will establish relations with you so even though france is this democratic country they were still dicks it took 80 decades to pay this debt off and it was just a huge thing a huge mar on it so like pratik was saying democracy may be a precondition but it's not a guarantee oh yeah obviously i'm not saying that's the answer i'm just saying that that's part of the answer sorry i just wanted to crap on france again (laughs) <laughs> all right i think that's all we have though so yeah so everyone thank you for tuning into episode 30 of politicana uh we appreciate you all listening please email back of the mob at gmail.com if you have any comments or questions or you want to introduce a possible topic for our next week's show uh but ultimately thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week take care